0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
1: Hello, Hackaroos. We don't have a soundbite at the top of the broadcast today because we want every second of time. And I'll tell you why. We are doing a world record-breaking hacks on tap here. What's the world record? Well, we're going to try two guests, a doubleheader. We've never done that before. Why? Well, the election's almost here, Gibbsy, and we want to do a deep dive on some Senate races. And we can talk congressional governor, too, but we're going to reach out to uh, two superstar local political journalist who know their state better than anybody. Uh, And we're going to take a look at Nevada, and we're going to take a look at Georgia. Uh, So why don't I hand it over to you, Admiral Gibbs, to introduce our first guest, an esteemed ink-stained wretch and a friend of the show. Why don't you bring him in here?
2: Yeah, Murphy, thank you. And I'm really excited to do this and really excited to have two guests, and as Murphy said, two experts of their state. Today, we are going to start with... The one and only, the incomparable, John Ralston, the CEO of the Nevada Independent. And if if you have thought about Nevada politics, if you have Googled on Nevada politics, if you've done anything uh, surrounding Nevada politics, you have run into something that John has written, something he has said, uh, a TV show that he once taped with some obscure candidate or whatnot uh john welcome <laughs> to hacks <laughs> on tap
3: it's nice to be with you and remember you were on that
1: obscure tv show at one time gibbs <laughs> i do remember that i uh i do remember that good times uh, i only heard about the viewer complaints but that's you know that's typical wherever <laughs> gibbs go, goes they and they're follow. still
3: coming in like six years <laughs> later right
1: <Mike. laughs> <Yeah, laughs> an angry public so john thank you for being here let, let me launch with a A a mini rant here, uh, a rant of affection. I think the Nevada Senate race is the most important who will run the Senate race that the national media is just not covering. I mean, Pennsylvania all the time, appropriately. Georgia all the time, appropriately. We're going to talk about that later. Wisconsin, appropriate. And there are a few others. But the the Nevada race is fascinating. It, it's got the issue of the emerging Republican potential strength of the Latino vote. It's an organized labor state. It is a pro-choice state, the abortion issue. The Everything is there in a race that just seems to be too close to call and locked in with the polls always, you know, sometimes somebody will be two points ahead. But it it, it the state motto is going to become the margin of error because this thing is just locked in an essential tie. So you can be our Sherpa here and and guide us into the complicated world of Nevada politics and what's going to happen in the race. What What's your top line take? And then we can dive in a little.
3: Well, I do think that it, that it is a complete toss up margin of error race. It may lean slightly towards Laxalt. Adam Laxalt, the challenger against Catherine Cortez Masto right now. But uh, especially this year, and you guys know this better than I do, on October 18th, I'm not going to make any kind of pronouncements yeah. uh, uh, on, on what's, what's going to happen. You know, But this is my constant frustration, as both of you guys know, about Nevada mattering, and, 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 the, and I'm out there talking about that all the time. And I don't know why the national media, uh, except for proximity, focuses on Pennsylvania and Georgia and kind of ignores Nevada or puts Nevada in a different tier, maybe because we're seen as kind of a weird state, which, of course, uh, we are, and not just for the reasons that you listed, uh, Mike, of course. Uh, So, listen, Catherine Cortez Masto is not a very high-profile senator. She's uh, in her first term. Uh, The Democrats actually have been frustrated for years about her uh, refusal to go out and do the basic things to get her name more out there, to get a higher profile. This goes back to the time... She was AG. So it's one thing to be a workhorse and not a show horse. It's quite another thing to be virtually invisible and not <laughs> name out there. Right. And yeah, a so phantom horse
1: that nobody can find. You just yeah, hear the. Hoof ex- exactly.
3: But she has run actually a very good campaign. She's very disciplined. Uh, uh, she's been everywhere in her media. Going after Laxalt on a variety of issues. One of them you mentioned, uh, uh, abortion, has been very sharp uh, and and focused. And I think if both of you guys seen the commercials, uh, you'd be impressed. But what's really something about this uh, race, Mike, is is that uh, you people talk about Oz and Herschel Walker and Blake Masters uh, and even Ron Johnson. Is these guys like I can't believe that these crazy people are going to be elected uh, right. to the West Senate. Adam Laxalt is as bad a candidate as any of them. They've just done a much better job of making sure he doesn't say much, uh, so he can't get himself into trouble. Once once he gets back the past the woke radical leftist uh, agenda, uh, he can't he can't answer questions, and when he does, he gets himself uh, into trouble. And yet because of the atmospherics, because we're a purple state, uh, because the Democratic registration edge here is not what it was two years ago, four years ago, uh, six and eight, uh, I, I think he has a really good chance. Yeah. And you've
2: also got, you know, tell us too, you've got a governor's race. You've got three of the four house races are considered very competitive and could switch hands. You've got uh, an important secretary of state race i mean this is the year in which you don't even have to unfurl your we matter banner because uh, uh, in many ways just the whole lineup of it is uh, is just pretty crazy
3: it is and 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 you went down the list uh, correctly uh, robert i, I listen uh, we have some really bad republican candidates uh, running for these constitutional offices not just election deniers but Pure conspiracy theorists and people who are completely unhinged, uh, and, and that, that they are all either leading in the polls or very close in the polls, uh, is, 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 co- is somewhat frightening. This is not a, like a pro Democratic statement. These people are objectively, uh, really out there. Uh, the only hope that Democrats have is that in the down ballot races that I'm talking about, you still have about a third in, in recent polls who are undecided. And they're finally getting out there in the media to, 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 to some extent. But the governor's race is a margin of error race, just as the Senate race is. Yeah. You know,
1: John, I always like to say that crazy times demand crazy elected officials. So, you know, the nation yet again is rising to that challenge. I want to dig in on the Senate thing for a minute, because from afar, even though I'm in California, so I guess from not that afar, and you alluded to it, but I want to dig in a little. Clearly. Cortez, Senator Cortez Masto's numbers have always been weak. Now freshmen can have that problem. But you know, it's one of these things where by all accounts, if you like her politics and you know I'm a conservative, I may not, but she's a smart capable person. Uh made a lot of things happen as AG. I didn't love all of them, but she was not ineffective. What has been the problem? She just doesn't like they can't because, you know, the first thing the chief of staff will tell the freshman is, all right, give me 40 weekends now uh, for, for the next year because you're, you're going to time for visibility. And clearly she hasn't done that. What I'm sure it's been an epic inside battle there because now she's probably a little more in trouble than she ought to be in medium trouble due to the state in the year we're having. But, but she just can't seem to get get a grip on them what has driven that because it, it's politics 101
3: well the state i think it's much more the atmospherics inside the state mike than than anything to do with with her or laxalt uh, i just think you put up anyone with an hour after his yeah. or her name and they they would be competitive uh this year and it's not just that she's not high profile or she doesn't like campaigning or she's not uh dynamic remember we had someone uh, who was, not, uh, who didn't like campaigning and wasn't very good at it, who was considered dead in 2010. Uh, and then suddenly the resurrection of Harry Reid, uh, yeah. uh, occurred. And, and, you know, she was his handpicked choice to succeed him. And, and they're very similar in, 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 in many ways. Of course, she's not the, the leader. So she didn't have the resources, either, but she learned from him. She's raised more money than he ever did. She was, she raised $15 million. In the third quarter, which was uh, uh, un- unlike anything that's been seen in-, in our small state. But again, you, you have the fact that Biden's numbers are-, are low here as they are everywhere else. We have the third or fourth highest gas prices in the, in the country. And so you don't hear the Republicans uh, uh, who are helping Laxalt or Laxalt himself ever say her name without saying Biden's name in right. the same breath. And that so far has been enough to keep the race close.
1: Yeah, they're running the box of hammers campaign, which is smart from them, which is forget us. It's all about her. And they're hoping the wave will pull even a box of hammers out. What What is her elevator pitch? Is it he's he's crazy on abortion because it is a pro-choice state. It's right up there in California when you look at the polling on that issue. And he's a nut or what? what What's her elevator pitch?
3: Well, her elevator pitch is that they're, they're using. I mean, I've said it before. You can meet uh, Catherine Cortez Masto on the Las Vegas Strip and say, Nice weather we're having, and she would say, "Did you know Adam Laxalt is pro-life?" That uh, <laughs> they want to change to that at every at every turn, right? And and it's kind of weird here because Mike, as you said, we're we're a pro-choice state. All the polling shows that, but the issue here is slightly different in that uh 32 years ago there was a referendum on the ballot that cemented right. the pro-choice 24-week statute, so it can't be changed. So Laxalt and other Republicans are, are essentially saying it's settled law. You know, it's not, it shouldn't even be an issue. And so they're bringing up ancillary issues that, that, could, including a federal ban, right? Which Laxalt suddenly after being, you know, very pro-life his entire career says he would vote against a federal ban, which no one, uh, who has followed him, uh, believes he has said he would, uh, support a referendum to change the law here to 13 weeks. So they are really going after him in that. What I really find interesting. And, and this is something I, I, I'm sure that you guys have talked about a lot too, amongst yourselves and on the podcast, is this issue of the big lie, which, which Laxalt fronted for Trump in, in Nevada. And he has said stuff about it, uh, in 2022, like I'm going to sue to make the race close if I, if, if I need to really outlandish stuff. They think that that cuts him. Uh, they have internal polling that shows that that cuts him. I, I am frustrated, not just journalists. But as a human being that I've seen focus group where people say, ah, forget it. Let's move on. Yeah, that was terrible. Right, right. Fatigue. Let, let, Let's talk about gas prices or, or grocery store prices or something else. They think it works. So they started running uh, some media on that now.
1: What are the regular repubs saying there? They're just holding their breath because they want the vote. In some of these states, a few congressional races, you get a few ours are splintering off now doing it, you know, Republicans for the Democrat. Is there any of that there or they've they've held the line pretty much and the old regulars are just kind of rolling their eyes, but sticking with the,
3: the tribe? It's a great question. Um, there have been a few elected officials in rural Nevada where Democrats always do terribly, obviously, in this state who have uh, endorsed her. But one, one of the little known things about the Republicans here and Laxalt, as many Republicans, not just uh, uh, elected officials, but rank and file Republicans don't like him. They 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 think he's an opportunist who moved here to run, and they're correct. And they're really mad at him. And you guys will get this for blowing the governor's race in right, 2018, which helped which helped give uh, the uh, the Democrats complete control of Carson City and the ability to draw all the lines. Uh, in 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 the 2021 legislative session, that really uh, give have given them a chance in the legislature here that they may not uh, otherwise have had if it's if there's a red wave. So he is not that well liked. Now again, none of that may matter if there is if there is a massive red wave here and he and he could and he could defeat here. But he is not a beloved figure in the Republican Party here.
2: Yeah, and you know you, you guys talked a bit about Dobbs. Just for our listeners, the. Second most number of ads run nationally on abortion have taken place in this Senate race, which is, I think, a pretty astounding thing. Uh, as you mentioned, I want to get to something you talked about a second ago, which is this: vo- the voter registration in Nevada. And again, I, I'm uh, uh, I, because of presidential politics and whatnot, somewhat familiar with um, how this has been, and you see. Democratic registration, as you mentioned, down. Republican registration down. Other, which is 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 skyrocketed up. You also can vote for none of the above. I think on the ballot in in Nevada, which is qu- sort of quintessentially Nevada, right? G- tell us a little bit. I've sort of two questions here to walk our, our listeners through. One, what's what is why has this happened, right? Why have you seen this kind of real change? How are campaigns focused on it, and? Knowing that Harry Reid's machine was what carried Democrats and particularly Reid through some close elections, w- what do you think? Um, what do you think remains of the Reid machine in, in order to take advantage of all this?
3: Well, there's a lot there uh, in all those questions, and let me see yeah. if I can cover all of them. So the Democrats essentially have any have had anywhere from a five percent to eight percent lead uh, over the Republicans by election date since 2008. Uh, essentially that is now down, uh, to under 3%. Uh, and, and that's a real warning beacon for them. But more than that, <clears throat> excuse me, is the explosion of other registration, especially independent registration. Now, a significant percentage of that, maybe as much as two thirds based on some numbers I've, I've, recently gotten from the secretary of state's office is the motor voter bill that had, that they passed here. You go to the DMV and if you don't choose a party, you are defaulted to nonpartisan. So you have, they're, they're, they're the plurality in the state now that never mm. has, a, has occurred there. Uh, that they're, they're more than a third of the entire electorate. I think it's about 678,000 voters out of 1.8 uh, million, uh, registered here. And the question is, and this is the key question is, who are these people? Um uh, are are they actually going to vote? I mean, if you didn't want to register to vote and you got the fault that even if you got a letter saying you were registered, are you still going to vote? Which of all the independents are really Democrats, which are really Republicans. The campaigns that are most skillful at finding them and 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 turning them out are the ones who are going to win, which gets to the last point, and that's the read machine, which is legendary in this state for spending a lot of money. Uh, to, to, to register voters and then turn them out. That, that, that has not happened. I had said that, that Reed, uh, used the state party as a legalized money laundering operation, right? Where he poured all this money through there and then was able to do this every cycle. And by now, the Democrats had really increased their lead. Uh, they have made a little bit of progress in the last six weeks or so, but very, very small. And so, as I said, statewide, it is really not what it used to be. And more importantly, you guys get this in Clark County, which is where Vegas is, which is 70 percent of the vote and where a Democrat needs to win by 10 points or more to feel comfortable. Their lead now is under 10% for the mm. first time since I remember. And so that's a yeah. real danger sign for them. The independents are going to determine uh, this this election and who finds the, the ones that actually want to vote and will vote for your candidate are going to win.
1: Well, you know, you do the basic math of an incumbent with shaky numbers She's tried the magic laser sword of the abortion issue, but because that settled law thing has power there, because it's kind of true, uh, and yet a wave... Then, uh, you know, I, I get why they're locking laxalt in the trunk like the old days on the strip. And he could still be. <laughs> you have to let him out on Election Day and ungag him and congratulations the senator. So uh, I want to talk about the Latino vote because there were a lot of interesting signs in the last couple of election cycles. And the Latino vote is big and complicated. I've worked a lot in Florida where it's very different than here in California. And Texas is different. Uh, there's also a Latino vote in states like New Jersey that's important. In Nevada, is if you're running for president there on the Democratic side, your plane lands at McCarran. You immediately head over to SCIU headquarters, you know, a powerful hotel and food workers union, uh, which has a heavily Latino membership, and they're a fulcrum, as you know better than anybody, in like Democratic caucus politics. There, I the Republican view is the sane Republican view is if you put one of our candidates in a room full of Latino voters, even who have leaned Democrat. This year, they're going to talk about gasoline prices. They're going to talk about grocery. They're going to talk about, didn't you have it better before, good-paying jobs. You put the average Democratic candidate in there, you're going to hear about identity politics and, and, and that sort of thing. Is that what's the equation in Nevada? And do you think that is somewhere Laxalt could get a margin in a wave year better than usual for an hour historically? Or does the labor factor there, which is kind of different, Nevada, much more labor oriented, kind of like Southern California, a Latino vote. Uh, will that will that help her hold the line?
2: He forgot about the, about the culinary union. So help him oh, with yeah, that a course, little bit, Ralston. Of course.
1: I, I have, I'm yeah. like search and replace. I just say SCIU every time yeah. public employee. That are teachers. But you're right,
3: culinary. But the more important correction, Robert, to what Mike said, is it's not called McCarran Airport anymore it's called harry reid international i know (laughs) i know but i
1: i wrote an angry letter trying to get him to name him pat geary airport after the senator and the godfather which is my view of harry reid after those cheap shots at romney but anyway yes that's right harry reid airport
3: my offer senator is this nothing yes that was
1: that that was that (laughs) right right with the great gd spratlin a wonderful character actor who was actually a democrat kind of politically active guy in real life but anyway back to the question
3: it would will, it will be more fun to talk about GD Spratlin and what a great actor he was <laughs> in all those different uh, roles and uh, uh, Apocalypse now but we'll get we'll get, to, we'll get to, we'll, let me get to the Hispanic vote and, and and the culinary union. When Catherine Cortez Maslow first ran Mike in, in 2016, she ran against a really good candidate. she barely beat by the name of Joe heck uh, oh, yeah. who had a military background and he, and he was a congressman and he was the first candidate I saw who did a little bit more than a sop to the Hispanic community, went on Spanish, Spanish language, television, did all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he might've beaten her if he hadn't got caught up in the Trump vortex at the end. I'm with him. No, I can't vote for him. And he uh, went yeah, back and forth and I think that really cost him the race. He could have won that race this time. The Republicans really understand uh, all the polling that shows Hispanics care more about the issues you referred to. Like, they, they've never had immigration Generally, no, no, no demographic group is monolithic, but they never had immigration as number one, uh, right. here. And, and, and even though there are a lot of un, undocumented, uh, immigrants in Nevada, but now more than ever, they care what, you know, everyone cares about, about, about gas prices, inflation, uh, et cetera. So, uh, the real question is, is can the first, I mean, this is an amazing, uh, uh, experiment. The first Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate. Uh, can't and she can't hold the Hispanic vote and right. nobody can hold the Hispanic vote. The polling shows that that she has anywhere from a a, a 10 to 20 point read overlap so but that's that 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 is she needs to do a little bit better than that. And I've seen her not at fifty percent among mm. Hispanics. Think about that. That's devastating. She can't win. Now the Democrats believe a lot of the Hispanic community makes its decisions late. Uh, and so they're hoping for that. And they're hoping for what you alluded to, the culinary union, which is, uh, has worked in concert with the, with the Reed machine for, for a long time to turn out the Hispanic vote. More than half of that union is Hispanic. They've gotten a significantly, a significant number of their, of their workers registered now. And they're able to drive them, uh, to the polls. And because the way that voting in Nevada has changed, this is another wild card that started in 2020 where every single voter gets a mail ballot, right. you have a large group uh, that can gather in, in the union hall, right? And here's here's your mail ballots. Right. Uh, here's what we think you should do. And they can deliver them as well to, to 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 the polls. So could that make a difference? Maybe.
1: Yeah, you know, I would just say if I were Cortez Masto, I'd instruct when you're driving to the polls over at the culinary union, don't stop for gas. on the way. That would be my free strategic (laughs) advice there. Gibbs, you want to bring us home with the last question? And then I want to hear from John where people can follow him and uh, uh, keep up with his work in uh, Nevada.
2: Yeah, two things, John. I want you to uh, tell us a little bit about your current project as the CEO of the Nevada Independent. Then I have a quick exit question for you.
3: So, being independent is a real labor of love. It's a uh, uh, after a long career, as you guys know, covering politics here uh, in print and TV show. Uh, I decided I, I to start this nonprofit uh, news site, uh, kind of modeled after the Texas Tribune uh, in in twenty seventeen, and it has been the most exhilarating and most exhausting thing I've ever done. We <laughs> started with six people. I hired the best young reporters in the state, and we just hired. Our 22nd employee. So I'm I am thrilled that we are surviving and thriving. We're the go-to place now for coverage of government and politics and campaigns in Nevada. So I'm knocking on wood here that we're gonna keep going. All right. Here's
2: my exit question for you, John. In I want you to fill in the blank. All right. In 2024, in the presidential primaries, in what order will Nevada vote?
3: Well, Nevada's fur gonna going to be first and then there's everybody else who's not nearly as important uh and, and uh, <laughs> you, you ought to run for governor <laughs> i'd be more confident in saying that if if yeah. uh, harry Reid may rest in peace we're still alive because he could really influence that in the way that we got the early caucus way back in 2006 or 7 uh right it's it's competitive as, as you guys know but i think nevada's made a pretty good case because we are more than people think a reflection of 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 America, we're a very demographically diverse state, and so mm-hmm. I, I I know I'm kind of blinded by my Nevada partisanship here, but I'm hoping we go first.
1: Do you think they were they replace Iowa? And Iowa's blown itself up, and you're the other caucus in the phone book, so you're you're just bolt on easy move there. It makes sense for the D's, I think.
3: Which changed from a caucus to a primary because everyone hates caucuses now, mostly because of Iowa. Right, and so the last, right, le- right, right. So last yeah. legislature changed it to a primary, so they're hoping that that helps us get number one. New Hampshire's not going to go gently to that good night. Oh, God, no. I mean, <laughs> no. It, it, no. this is like
1: planning to no. invade the Ukraine. Ah, we we'll are knock them over in two <laughs> no. days. Well, yeah, we there are a bunch of fierce uh, woodchucks up there. I uh, I think that if it w- it's not a caucus, that could be tough, but we're safe. Yeah.
2: So, John, uh, just I know that I said that was the exit question. For our listeners, the polling last week had – uh, Cortez Masto up two in a USA Today poll. Your outfit, the Nevada Independent, had uh, Laxalt up four. Do you are you guys polling again before uh, before election day?
3: Yeah, we're going to do one that's going uh, to. I think it's going in the field next week, and we'll release it about ten days before the election, something like that.
2: How do people follow you and in the Independent?
3: Uh, NevadaIndependent.com. dot Please check out the site and hit the donate button if you get a, if you get a <laughs> chance. We survive uh, by our donors, and I'm at Ralston reports on Twitter. Outstanding, John.
2: Thank you for uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, as, as Murphy said, I, I don't know why reporters aren't out there, like staying at a nice hotel, charging a, do a little nice dinner to uh, to some national media outlet and, and following this race. It is hugely important. Uh, it may well determine who controls the U.S. Senate uh, and uh, some big races all the way down to Secretary of State. John, thanks for spending a little time with us
1: today. Great to talk to you, Johnny. All right. Thank you. All right. We're going to leave for a minute to pay the power bill, and then we'll be right back.
2: Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp.
1: Gibbs, you know, it can be really tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when you're faced with a challenge in life. You know, we're all the same. We tend to obsess on the challenge. So when you can learn how to find your own solutions, well, there's no better feeling. That's what a therapist can help you with. It makes you a better problem solver, giving you the right tools, which makes it so much easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small.
2: You know, Murphy, we've talked a lot about this. I mean, there's been some trying times, the pandemic. We've been through a lot, and uh, I think a lot of people have been worn out. They've needed to reach out. They've needed some help, and, and that makes a lot of sense. So if you're looking for some help out there, if you're looking for a little less stress in your life, you want to feel a little bit more confident, you want to feel like your old self again, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and best of all, it's entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time.
1: So when you want to be a better problem solver in your life, therapy can help you get there. Visit BetterHelp.com hacks today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R, HELP.com slash hacks. It's convenient, it's online, it works under your schedule, and it'll give you the tools you need to problem solve and move ahead.
2: That's betterhelp. HELP.com slash hacks. <laughs>
1: All right, now we're gonna flap our hacks on tap wings, fly across the country to the great state of Georgia, where expert local political reporter and ink stained wretch who knows everything about politics there, Greg Bluestein is with us. And, and Gibbs, let's start by plugging the book because you you wave that thing around every day. It's your favorite book of the year.
2: Loved it. If you haven't bought it, flipped how the how Georgia turned purple and broke the monopoly on Republican power. Man, that that title just sings, Murphy uh it uh but it's it, it
1: violence all over it it's a bestseller uh,
2: no but it's it, it, Greg's Greg's book after the 2020 race it gives you a sense of of kind of where we got to how we got to where we are right now so if you haven't bought it buy it if you bought it and haven't read it read it and uh you'll be where we are Greg let's start i i you know First of all, what a crazy like three or four days in uh in Georgia politics. You've had yeah. debate after debate and all this sort of stuff. I, I maybe the best place to start is with Friday's debate. And uh, you know, we wrote uh, on in our hacks on uh on tap dot newsletter, you know, that that the Georgia debate on Friday and the Pennsylvania debate in a week or so are probably the the return of vital debates, uh, potentially, as being seminal events in these races in, in a year in which I don't think many people are, are doing debates. In fact, we just, we just covered Nevada. There's not even a statewide debate scheduled in that Senate race. Walk us through, and I rewatched it again this morning. Do
0: you think the Warnock campaign accomplished what they wanted to get out of that debate on Friday? No, I don't. And, and first of all, I agree with you. I, I'm so glad there was a debate because I did not think there was even going to be debate. I thought that Herschel Walker was hedging and, and that he would ultimately just say, hey, um, I, I, I set these conditions and Senator Warnock didn't agree to him and we're not going to have a debate. So I was glad to at least see a debate. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think Senator Warnock accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Uh, and, and he had a chance face-to-face, head-to-head with Herschel Walker to bring up a lot of the issues that he's brought up in campaign ads that he's brought up on the campaign trail to really hammer him on his history of violence and erratic behavior. He got a few blows in there, but did he have sustained, you know, attacks? No. Um, I think he was better at the Sunday debate in which Herschel Walker didn't show up and there was an empty podium. But of course, that's a completely different venue, and it was not nearly the national. They so the podium affair. had a
1: couple of good comebacks. I'll say, you know, there, <laughs> uh, there were times when I thought, you know, you know, we could use a podium. Stony silence. Maybe
2: sometimes silence is better. Greg, Less Why do you more, think yeah. that was with with Warnock? Why do you think? Because I, I was surprised again, rewatching it to today. I didn't think he was nearly as aggressive. I didn't think that. Uh, I mean, I thought that that Walker was aggressive. I mean, every time he got a question, it was like, hey, I'm for Georgia. He voted for with Joe Biden 96% of the time. He's was very sort of he was very programmed to to be to answer everything on message, even if he didn't know much about healthcare or, or whatnot.
0: Well, a couple of things. I mean Herschel Walker, he prepared for this for, for weeks, for maybe even months. He had a debate coach. He was basically locked away for hours on a on a time to get ready for this debate. He had policy time with senators like Lindsey Graham, who'd come down from out of state um, and 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 quiz him and grill him on the details. And he had his script ready. He had his he had his messaging ready. He knew what was coming. You know, and I'm not. He did not. He he had expected some of these questions that were coming. I should say, right. And he was ready for him. Whereas Senator Warnock, you know, he's a skilled orator, but he also hasn't done that many debates, political debates. He's only had a handful in the 2020 cycle, right? He had the one that was watched by millions in the runoff, but. Aside from that, he had some lower profile forums and debates without direct opponents on the stage with him. So even though he's a great speaker, he doesn't have that sort of skill or experience that that some other more veteran candidates might have.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a case study of the expectations game going sideways. You had Warnock, who's, you know, supposed to be the the, this smooth orator from the pulpit, incumbent U.S. senator, charismatic guy. And then you had Walker, who's been a staple, a a jobs program for late night comedians. And so they get together. Now, Walker had adroitly before the abortion kerfuffle had lowered expectations pretty well, saying, oh, I ain't no fancy talker, you know, uh, setting it up to those low expectations. And then you're right. All he had to do, because he's the send-a-message candidate in a wave year, is read the three-by-five card, Biden, 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 Biden. I love cops, Biden, Biden, Biden. Gas and groceries cost too much, Biden, Biden, Biden. And even though it was a mangling of the English language, I mean, the ghost of Pericles is spinning in his uh, grave, it was enough, because if you deconstruct it, I know that guy's on the side of gas, groceries, things cost too much, and and screw Biden. And I know from outside politics, hating politics is like many voters in the voter's mind I do— you know, he was great at Georgia. There are things to love about him other than politics. Well, well, the great orator did nothing. And, I, you know, everybody, all the sophisticates are obsessed with the badge. Yeah, I get it. A junior G-Man badge. Easy to laugh at. But if you deconstruct it, it's I'm pro-cop. And meanwhile, when, when Warnock got his million-dollar question, are you with Joe Biden? Hamada, 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 which I think in the actual politics of this, we're no as the polling comes back this week. Was worse for Warnock than the badge was for Walker. So I agree. I think Warnock blew it.
0: Yeah, I'll say in Georgia. See, it's really interesting because both these issues are are well known to to Georgia voters, right? The the badge, the law enforcement stuff, has been out there in Georgia media and has been on on TV ads now for for weeks and months. So, um, you know, it's still a meme. It's still it's still surprised and shocked a lot of voters here. But the underlying issues have been on campaign ads, right? Herschel Walker lied about serving a law enforcement. So. It was a moment, but, but it, didn't, it didn't drop as many jaws here as it might have in other parts of the country. And then when it comes to Joe Biden, that's been Senator Warnock's strategy the, from the get-go. It, he talks more about Ted Cruz and, and working with Ted Cruz on the campaign trail than he does working with Joe Biden. And in fact, in Savannah, in the run-up to these debates, this debate, there was a stream of, of ads that looked like they were GOP ads uh, talking about how Senator Warnock was not working with Joe Biden, right? How he, how he fought Joe Biden on the closure of a military installation in the in the coastal georgia area so I, I agree with you though that the in both these cases i think there was a little bit you know i get it why democrats are jumping on this badge thing as a meme but for many voters it was not the takeaway moment yeah yeah the one thing that that i thought would play a bit more
2: of a role in the debate that didn't seem to is obviously the story that popped a few weeks ago the allegation from a former girlfriend is that Herschel Walker pressured her into getting an abortion paid for it. Uh, I think she's given to media, you know copies of the check, the receipt. Uh, uh, you know, it's come out that that, that she um, isn't just somebody that he knew passingly, that she's actually the mother of uh, one of his children. I was surprised it didn't play a larger role, and I don't know why. I, I get why Warnock may not have picked it up. Maybe he was surprised that the debate moderators didn't yeah. spend a little bit more time on it. Where do you think we are with this story, and, and where is its impact?
0: We'll still see with the polls, but is it have this you know tremendous impact on the race? I don't think so. It, it, it is not cratering Senator, uh, sorry, Herschel Walker's campaign whatsoever. You know, it might it might dip a couple points, but I'll say this: you know, after. The, the earlier allegations that, uh, that, that were revealed that uh, Herschel Walker had unacknowledged children and that he was lying to his own campaign about them. Uh, these are details I was able to confirm for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, Warnock's campaign was kind of like, huh, you know, it's interesting, but they weren't going to seize on it. It was kind of like this was another piece of paper to add to the pile. If, this, yeah. if these allegations were leveled against Governor Brian Kemp or another Republican without that reputation... It would be one thing, but for Herschel Walker, who already was being pummeled with ads about his erratic behavior, about his blunders, lies, exaggerations, violence, all that, this was just another piece of the, of the framework, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. The, the stuff that's
1: bouncing around nationally is all burned in down there. The, the, the Warnock guys know. If you're a pro-choice voter and that's your number one issue, Warnock has you. If you're a pro-life voter, you're going to hold your nose. But, you know, well, Mitch will make him vote right on the issues I care <laughs> about. You're not going to pop over to Warnock because the guy's a hypocrite on abortion. It's just the, the, those, those lines are drawn. The question is, how does the Warnock campaign find a way, in my view anyway, to make it okay for a suburban voter to vote for the governor, the Republican governor, and then peel off and vote for Warnock. what What's the hook to hold that seven or eight point gap to keep a ceiling on and make Warnock acceptable there in a, in a wave election where people want to punish Biden? You know, and the federal stuff gets tied up. Yeah, I think you saw Biden. that in the debate. Yeah, yeah, he's
0: trying. Yeah, he wouldn't answer the question about whether Joe Biden should run again. He said, I haven't thought about that at all. Of course he's, you know, I've, I've asked yeah. him that question. So, of course, he's had that question before. He wouldn't answer whether he wants and, and to. And we all
1: know the answer. Of course he is. You know, that's the problem. It makes him a politician because it's like it's too clever by half. It's transparent, in my view, anyway.
0: Yeah, and he wouldn't answer the question about whether he'd expand the U.S. Supreme Court, which, by the way, is a question I asked him on the the old runoff debate in 2020. I guess it was 2020. Um, and he entered the same way. He, he said, oh, I'm not worried about Washington politics. I'm worried about, I'm worried about Georgia. Um, and so that's the way he's trying to strike this balance. It's really interesting because there is a profound, a significant split ticket trend in Georgia. Our latest poll showed about 8% of Governor Kemp's supporters are backing Raphael Warnock. This right. is something that's sort of unthinkable in Georgia, where, where in most other states in the country where politics is so uh, polarized. You don't see too much of a split ticket trend. Where, meanwhile, you have a significant number of Republicans, or at least indicating that they're that they're not going to go uh, all in for Herschel Walker.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that carries forward in the in the last three weeks of this. Walk us through. I mean, obviously, there's an enormous governor's race there. The incumbent Brian Kemp, uh, you know, in his tangles with with Donald Trump and winning the primary. Uh, and also Stacey Abrams and sort of the field organization that she's been really working on and and honing for years. Where where does that race sit and how do you see the impact of the governor's race in the Senate race in addition to some of that split ticket voting?
0: You know, it's interesting because the polls show Governor Kemp about five, six, seven, even 10 points ahead of Stacey Abrams. Um, She says the polls are a snapshot and it's a question of who they're taking a picture of. You know, she says basically they're not showing a, the, an accurate portrayal of Georgia's electorate, but her issue is that in these same polls, Raphael Warnock is ahead, or is neck and neck with Herschel Walker. Um, so either way, um, she feels like she's in striking distance. Governor Kemp, you know, he's not going to be complacent, but he, they're they're pretty confident. and You can see it in their campaign. They're not releasing new policies every other day. They're not they're not you know they're they're not acting with an urgency on announcing new new efforts to go energize conservative voters. Instead, they're actually playing to the middle a little bit more than I've seen them at least. He's campaigning in the suburbs, something he didn't do in 2018. He's talking to black voters, something he largely bypassed in 2018. So he's trying to knock Stacey Abrams even more on the defensive. But is he hanging out with Herschel Walker on the campaign trail? No. Is he a, a really a close alliance with Herschel? No. Um, he is kind of keeping his distance from Herschel Walker. He says he wants to support the, same, the whole ticket, but he is not, you know, Hanging out and rubbing elbows with with Herschel Walker, who, who he doesn't have a great history with anyway. Of course, they're for, they're both you know Georgia fans, and he, Governor Kemp comes from Athens, which is the hometown of the is the native seat of the of the Georgia Bulldogs.
2: Never heard of him.
0: Yeah, exactly. But Herschel did, wouldn't even say whether he supported Governor Kemp in the May primary. So there there's a strained history between the two, and and I don't think Governor Kemp you know wants to take on some of that
1: baggage. Here's something I'm fascinated with. Stacey Abrams was a huge national deal after her near miss last time. Uh, in our new era where, if you're interesting, you you can just keep getting bigger. I think she could have, if Biden doesn't run again, been a credible presidential candidate, even without having one statewide office. Then she jumped into this wood chipper here, and I think the odds are very high she's going to lose, which will... Demote her from where she used to be. Do you hear any leaks or murmurs coming out of her world about why the hell did we do this? What's the morale like in instead of inside? Excuse me, of the Stacey Abrams, the future of the Democratic Party world now that the second time around may the sequel may er, er, turn out to be a bigger bomb than the uh, the original.
0: Yeah, morale's mixed. You know, there are some who are sort of the true believers who believe the internal polls and believe all the other indicators within the campaign that show that they're neck and neck, that they're one point back, that they're even dead even. Right? Um, there's others who surging, kind of see this is yeah. surging. Yeah, there's others who you know who have a different view and see this sort of as a, a slog. Um, that that morale is low. Morale is mixed. Um, that you know, are they questioning whether she should have run in the first place? So that's a that's a Different animal because when she got in the race in December of last year, it was looked at as a toss up of whether even Governor Kemp would survive the primary, right? Right. I I mean that was at a time when like Donald Trump's endorsement was still seen as a golden ticket in Georgia uh, because up until that point it had been, and he was in a battle royale with David Perdue, the former senator who had Trump's endorsement. Not only that, Trump was endorsing a whole range of other candidates down the ballot who were taking on Kemp's allies, and so you know. It would have been hard, you know, if you were even the most objective, neutral, dispassionate observer, if you were um, advising Stacey Abrams, it would have been hard to tell her not to get in the race at that time. Plus, she had been gearing up her entire world in order to jump in this race. She bypassed running for the seat that Senator Warnock ended up winning. She bypassed running for the seat that John Ossoff ended up winning. She bypassed other opportunities where she could have joined, maybe uh, gone into think tank world or Washington world, or even maybe the Biden administration all to run for the seat so had she not got in in december also she would have been attacked for kind of leaving the party in the lurch because so many other democrats figured Mm. she was getting in and so all these other democrats were like
3: you know they're waiting for and
0: her world is pretty tight so it's not like they were giving signals to other democrats who were they weren't very close with saying hey we might not get in you should get ready they weren't doing that at all all right
2: hold that thought we're going to take a short break and now a word from our sponsors
1: Well, Gibbsy, we all know you're like one of those Hollywood studio uh, tycoons in the 30s. They bring in the new guy. Hey, new guy, you're now the old guy. You're fired. You know, one cold cup of coffee and, and, and Gibbs will behead you. So you're constantly, I say in jest, constantly trying to hire new employees, as am I. And you know what? It is hard in this environment. It's difficult. How do you find a new hire when you need them ASAP? You want top talent. Well, I've got the answer, pal. You need Indeed.
2: You do need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast, just like you said, Murphy, with Indeed suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews.
1: Yeah, the virtual interview thing is cool because, I don't know, if you're like me, you're impatient. And what I love about Indeed is their their U.S. data shows 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment, I mean, zap, the moment they sponsor a job. So the virtual interview is really cool. You know, you don't have to make your candidates jump through hoops. What the virtual interviewer tool does is it means there's nothing to download. You just click and talk. That saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place on your schedule. Makes it so easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything either. It just works from your internet browser, so you don't have to be an IT genius to make the damn thing work. It's quick, efficient, gets you the employees you want.
2: Yeah, and for most employers, it saves them days of hiring according to Indeed data. On average, applicants who scored proficient or higher on the reliability assessment were twice as likely to be on time for work according to Indeed data. So join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast.
1: And remember, Indeed knows you're cheap like us. We're the frugal hacks on tap. So when you sponsor a job, you only pay, only pay for quality applicants from resumes and our Indeed database matching your job description. So do it. Let's get the hiring going fast and smart. Go to Indeed.com slash hacks to start hiring now.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash hacks. Indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available to everyone. Gibbs, I didn't know you went to law school. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Greg, uh, let's switch just a second because I I, want to play forward this idea that the electorate may not look like um, we think it is in some of the current polling. Yesterday, early voting started in Georgia. I know you're well aware of it. More than 123,000 Georgians voted early. Uh, That is a significant increase from the 71,000 in 2018, which obviously was a huge high water midterm mark. Obviously we don't know exactly who all of these people are at the moment but what what dynamic do you think or what are what are what's the dynamic you're hearing on the ground there uh, on what this could mean for how the electorate looks uh on election night and and how that might shake up some of these races
0: Yeah it's really fascinating because we don't know a lot yet we don't hey it's a three week early voting period so we don't know if a lot of these these voters on the first day or the first couple of days might have voted next Thursday might have voted You know, two weeks down the road and you're just kind of, you know, pulling out. We don't know how many, we know there's a significant number of early voters and we know that the numbers tend to skew more heavily African-American than we usually see. Um, About a third of the early voters are black and that's a good sign for Democrats. But at the same time, um, it's still so early that no campaigns are crowing about this really. Everyone's, you know, everyone's saying, hey, this is representative of the energy around the campaigns. Um, also there is a, there's been a shift here in Georgia for campaigns to really focus on getting that early voter turnout that first week, bank your vote now. So that might be part of it. We might see a big drop off in week three. Um, and, and we might see, you know, somewhat level, uh, averages for early voting compared to previous elections, or we might see a big surge, which validates Stacey Abrams entire argument, which is the electorate is going to grow because the folks are upset about Dobbs' decision, and Kemp's policies. Yeah. It,
2: it does seem like you've got a classic, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, you know, and and look, nationally, this has been sort of the theory of the case, which is, you know, there's two kind of different campaigns going on, right? And you saw this with the Walker debate. Lots of talk about gas prices, lots to talk about grocery prices, inflation, crime, immigration. And on the other side, you've got, you know, Warnock wanting to talk not just about Herschel Walker's abortions, maybe, but... The the Dobbs decision and the Supreme Court. I mean, are you seeing, you know, what we're seeing nationally, which is the the, the economy kind of come back and be a bit more resurgent in terms of an issue of greater importance than um, democracy or voting or, uh, or abortion?
0: Yeah, our polls and other polls continue to show the economy is the number one issue. Um, I was a panelist at the Governor Kemp Stacey Abrams debate the other night. And the economy was every, every, it seemed like every answer that Kemp could give went back to how he opened businesses early during the pandemic. And if he hadn't done that, Georgia wouldn't be in the financial position. It is now with a surplus of over $6 billion. And look, it's, it's Stacey Abrams countered that, you know, that decision also, we can't forget that thousands of Georgians lost their lives during the pandemic, but it's a hard message to counter right now. When folks are worried about inflation, the price of goods, all those issues. Democrats included. And, um, you know, and there's not a focus, at least in the governor's race, on what, what what Biden is doing because Stacey Abrams, in that debate, she's not keen to mention Joe Biden's name.
1: And with tribalization now, the old deal where the governor's race had one set of issues and the Senate one had another and they are two different planets, it's all merging together. Our tribe hates Biden. Vote R. And in a state like, even with the demographic evolution of Georgia and becoming more urbanized and the suburbs exploding... It, it, it's still a state with a long Republican kind of right of center history. And if you really simplify things in a wave election where there's economic pain, because we know every time there's an election where the country is in economic pain, it's 90% of the time it's going to be a protest vote against whoever's perceived to have the most power. That's why there have only been three midterms since World War II, where the president in his first term has done well in a midterm. You know, there's a natural ejector button there that's enhanced by things like inflation, gas, and groceries. So, you know, unless that – this time – we debate this all the time, Gibbs and I and Axelrod and I – is this really different this year? Because every election, it's more fun to report on why it could be different. Right. Oh, the Internet. You know, there's new stuff. Oh, soccer moms. <laughs> oh, Roe's been overturned. And I actually believe the Roe thing has some power. But is it going to be different enough not to be normal? Um, I, I I think I, I'll make a Kreskin prediction here. You know, who cares what I think? It won't matter. So I can make predictions. But uh, I'm the drunk on the back of the bus. Martians are coming. Well, my prediction is that Herschel's going to have a little comeback in the polling next week because Warnock's crawled to a bit of a lead. And I think we're going to revert to mean a little bit and it'll be back to real margin of error stuff uh, when polls that are in the field now uh, come back at the end of next week.
0: And we have another poll coming out in maybe a week or two. Um, But look, I I agree. And I think that um, I think the, the Senate race will continue to be neck and neck. And I think I think it is going to point towards a runoff in December. So you won't be rid of us for a few more weeks. But (laughs) That's true. Yeah, the
1: runoff. I'm going to stop you. You should explain that because our audience right now is reaching for the whiskey bottle and the revolver. What do you mean more? Yeah, it could be the (laughs) the Senate maybe decided in January. So why don't you explain the history of that in Georgia? December, December this year. Oh, December this year. Last time it was early January.
0: Yeah. In Georgia, the state law requires the winner of these statewide races to have a 50% plus one. So you've got to get a majority of the vote. And with a libertarian in the race, and particularly a libertarian who is drawing a lot of protest votes from Republicans who feel like they can't vote for, for Herschel Walker, that likelihood has increased. So if the libertarian gets 2 3% in a really close race, that could keep both candidates below the 50% mark, which means in December 6th, we off. Luckily, we don't have a nine-week runoff anymore. So our Christmases, Hanukkahs, and New Year's won't be ruined, <laughs> but our Thanksgiving still will be.
1: Think about that battle. I mean, we should, uh, I don't know what, we should buy a TV station in Georgia, because if the Senate is up for decision based on a right. December runoff in Georgia, it, it's going to make Ukraine look like an, an Easter stroll. I mean, both parties are going to come roaring in there with with clubs and dollars and everything, and the state is just going to be, it's going to be melted, and that's going to be incredible.
2: And I think its it's almost certainly likely that, as Greg said, that we're going to end up playing this game again in December. And and it wouldn't shock me at all, Murphy, if we were at 50 Republicans, 49 Democrats, uh, and, uh, and you know, a coin flip Georgia Senate race. Greg's just put his hand to his head uh, and, and called a doctor, uh, you know, one more time. And it, that will be interesting because it will be fascinating to watch how many people, as Greg said, do the, does that libertarian attract because... The Walker thing. Maybe it's not one of those things, but maybe it's all of those things together make me think. Eh, I don't love right, him on the right. football field. Don't want him to be a U.S. senator. But then, how that dynamic could or might change in December if the race really isn't about any issue except control of the Senate. That's going to be, uh, you know, just a series of kind of fascinating things. Walk us through in the last question here. You got three weeks to go in this race. The debates, I think, are largely over uh, where do you see this going? I mean, you know, what ex- do we expect more surprises? Are we going to see, uh, anything, uh, you know, obviously well, we, I, I we predict don't know the what podium is going
1: to surge to eight or 9% next week's. Fall, <laughs> I mean. but go ahead. Of, what else can we look for here?
0: Yeah. I wish I could tell you about the surprises, but I, I do know, I do know that the campaigns are out there. I mean, today I'll, I'll be, I'll be hitting the campaign trail with some of these campaigns today where they're, they're, they're employing de- very different strategies. Um, Senator uh, Warnock is going towards the middle. He is not talking about Joe Biden. He's continuing to kind of ve- steer clear that. It's very different from Stacey Abrams, who's embracing the President. And when you talk about Herschel Walker, he's going on the offensive in a way. He's been on the defensive for a long time. And, and now he's trying to hit back at, at, at Senator Warnock over an apartment deal that you know that, that we've been following at the AGC, but a national audience really hasn't been paying that much attention to. Um, he's going to try to highlight that a little bit more, Her, uh, Senator Warnock's background. Give, giving, He's hoping to give those kind of leaning independents, those, those up-in-the-air independents, a reason either to vote for him or just to stay home because right. that helps his chances that much more.
1: Right, right, or libertarian.
2: This is going to be a fascinating race. I still think, yeah, I'd say this even if Ralston had stuck around for this conversation. I still think Georgia is the most fascinating state in 2022. Greg, thanks for taking some time to give us a rundown of what in the world is going on, uh, and we will uh, we'll be back as well probably to check in. Well, my guess is we're going to be doing this again <laughs> in December. So, uh,
1: but Greg, thanks for taking the time. Where can people follow you and keep up on Georgia?
0: I'm at Bluestein on Twitter. And you can so- see all of our stuff at AGC.com. I'm also the host of the Politically Georgia podcast and NBC contributor. And you guys are welcome to my house for Thanksgiving. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> we thank may, you. We thank may you. be down
1: there. We
2: may
0: be yeah, down exactly. there.
1: Final prediction on Georgia oh, yeah. from me. You guys are going to laugh, but write it down. If Walker wins, and I think he has an excellent chance to win in a wave year, God help us, Trump will immediately start talking about him as his favorite pick for VP. And liberal heads are going to explode from coast to coast. So that that's coming. There you go. Upbeat note to finish it up with. Badges for everybody. Greg, thank <laughs> Greg, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. All right. Let's play the music. Okay, Ecarus, if you have a question for the hacks, send it to us. And by the way, if you sent us one in the past and we didn't get to it and you're still curious, send it again. We're, we work through a big list of these and uh, we often have questions we like that we just can't fit in. So uh, try it again. All you got to do is email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. So, Gibsy, before we dive into the questions for today, we should probably address on a national basis the big New York Times poll. Show A revert to mean because you and I keep debating the question of is it a regular midterm bad for the Democrats, or this time is something different? New York Times poll, a lot of numbers that showed things going back the Republican way, the historical normal theory, including a kind of amazing number that, not surprisingly, the economy is the biggest issue. But abortion was in the single digits, of week number three of what voters say they care most about, which is not the scenario I think we envisioned earlier in the year with the Roe uh, decision being overturned. So, what what do you think of that New York Times? Because I can tell you, Democrats are freaked out by it.
2: Yeah, well, the New York Times does tend to freak Democrats out. They, you know, it can. There's a lot of things that can be readily apparent, but once they get printed in the New York Times. Uh, the pearl clutching index of the hacks on tap bulletin dot com newsletter the the <laughs> score goes way up explodes. A, a few thoughts on it. I, I you know I think a lot of democratic strategists, if you ask them, you know, sense that the electorate is in a different place ever so slightly than it was in August when gas prices were going down, uh, when Roe was more at the forefront, uh, and so I'm not terribly surprised that the economy's made a rush back. Uh, I think there was hopes that that inflation would begin to show some um, show some decrease that that really it that it hasn't. Uh, and I think you've seen gas prices with Opec's decisions start to creep back up. Now they've gone back down some this week. Uh, so I see the you know the economy as being something. Again, that's been thrust in the forefront. The one thing I want to say, though, or a few things I want to say to the New York Times poll, there's some internal numbers in there that are just decidedly wacky, and we should address them. Okay? The New York Times poll and their congressional generic congressional ballot have women tied among Democrat and Republican 47-47. I got news for you, Murphy. We're not tied <laughs> on the generic congressional ballot with women. Uh, In any of these races, if you look at the CNN poll last week, the Fox poll last week, the CBS poll from the day before the New York Times poll, there are varying degrees of uh, gender gaps and there will be a gender gap in this race. So there's something kind of screwy going on that race. I also think, too, that the the African-American black support in the New York Times poll was 18%. It ranged from ten to thirteen percent in those other polls I mentioned. So I think there's some internal stuff that makes this a bit of an outlier. So I think as you know, as Democrats have read the New York Times on the third or fourth floor uh, and gotten panicky, take the elevator or the stairs down to the first floor. Uh, it's going to be a tough election as we thought it would be uh, with three weeks ago. But I don't think the internals are nearly as bad. In there, as as one would presume, and i would just one last admonishment to anybody in polling, hey, when we're when we're like isolating 77 or 78 interviews in a poll, and 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 uh, with a plus or minus, God only knows how many percent. It's just let's all be careful analyzing um, some of these interview numbers and drawing broad conclusions
1: about an electorate. I agree with all of that. I don't agree with the generic congressional ballot. I hate that question because we don't vote nationally for Congress or local districts. Traditionally, the Democrats since World War II have run four points ahead, which would be good news for them of the generic number in terms of the number of congressional seats they got. But in the last 10 years, it's kind of reversed itself and the Republicans have a little advantage. I agree on the gender gap, but if you average most polls together, the Democrats are still being crushed by the economy. And that's why I think they're going to lose the House. And that's why I think the Senate right now is a coin flip, despite terrible candidates. But soon, we will be here debating this with actual election results. And we'll find out what's right and what's wrong. in other than that, I tell every Democrat, work like you're one point behind, which is what I tell every Republican. Absolutely. All right, let's do some questions.
2: Hi, right, Murphy. For you, we're going to combine questions because like, we want this to be like the Question Olympics and you have to run <laughs> the obstacle course. I'm going to give you a couple of different ones. Tyler asks, I rarely, if ever, see billboards utilized for political campaigns. Is this because they're ineffective or is it because they're too expensive compared to that effectiveness?
1: Okay, let me do that fast, and then we can quickly do Miriam. So this is a question political consultants love because political consultants hate billboards. Candidates love billboards. They can drive by them, look at them, and then call up and say, I want more billboards. Then the other candidate will drive by the opposing candidate's billboard and say, damn it, they've got billboards. I want one." Before you know you're in a stupid billboard war. Local campaigns that are often about just plain old name ID – tend to use billboards a bit. In a statewide or congressional, any big campaign, television, radio, digital, so many things give you a much better return on investment than billboards. Uh, there's a campaign out here in California that I think spent a couple million from their huge budget on billboards for a Prop 27, uh, and they're getting slaughtered. They dropped 40 points, and they're a great case study of, of billboards did absolutely nothing for them. Disclosure, I'm doing the other side on that, but we've been having a good laugh about all their billboards. The other question
2: is Miriam's, and she says, are there any groups that are still being or are newly underrepresented in polling as we approach the midterms? What are the pollsters likely missing?
1: Great question, Miriam. What the pollsters worry about is, one, it's hard to get a random sample. Now, polling science is incredibly solid if you get a truly random sample of a universe of voters. People don't answer the phone for a phone poll, so they text people a link to a questionnaire. They buy online panels. They call people at home. takes at least 100 phone calls to get one person to answer, and they call on cell phones. It's called multimodal. It's the best way. It's still challenging. But what they worry about is the one thing they really cannot control, which is people who decide for ideological reasons not to participate. I'm a Trump voter. It's all rigged by the liberal media. I don't believe in polling. I won't participate. Or I'm a left-wing Bernie voter. The corporations control everything. I won't participate. In the old days, people would choose to be part of polling because they thought it was important. Now, is it enough to be material to really skew the results? Eh, There's a debate about that in polling uh, circles. But there, there is some evidence that increasing number of people's pick up there is some evidence that increasing number of people are refusing to play which does warp the random sample which is what the statistical science relies on that said just keep in mind that most polling is a rear view mirror what happened 10 days ago uh, but it's it's pretty accurate at that but be careful of trying to predict three weeks forward based on last week Absolutely. Okay. A jumbo question for Gibbs here. This is from Trey. And this is a great question about jumbo another- Jumbo meaning little... I'm trying
2: to catch up with all the words you just used?
1: Uh, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but this is a great question about a race that we we ought to do a dive on this in the next episode. It's from Trey for Gibbs. I've read a little bit about the Oregon governor's race. Do you think there is really a chance the independents will play spoiler and get a Republican elected governor of Oregon for the first time in 40 years? Or will the chickens come home to roost for Democrats? Gibbs?
2: Yeah, it's a great question and it is real. It is absolutely yeah. real. Um, and and a couple of things are at play. First of all, as you mentioned, you've got a very viable independent candidate that has raised a boatload of money and is running a fairly effective campaign. Former uh, Democrat, former Democrat, uh, member of the state legislature, uh, basically running a, you know, everybody's wrong, we'll, let's let's run up the middle. You've got a, a fairly normal Republican candidate, and then you've got Tina Kotek, the Democratic nominee who a, a leader in in the state legislature. The, the challenge in in Oregon right now is uh, Kate Brown, the current governor, has the lowest approval and the highest disapproval ratings of any governor in America, right? So there's a bit of a democratic hangover uh, from all of the issues uh, and all of the things that she's had to deal with. It is not helping. It's creating a headwind. And the independent candidate is pulling disaffected Democrats that are tired of of what's gone on in the state with drugs and homelessness uh, and and whatnot, and is pulling votes away. I think there is not a surprise that Joe Biden popped up there last week. You're not going to see Joe Biden in Nevada campaigning uh, as we talked to John Ralston. You're not going to see him in Georgia, though you will see Barack Obama. But bringing Joe Biden to Oregon makes sense because in reality, what you're trying to do if you're the Kotech campaign is just get Democrats to vote for the Democrat. You're trying to get those away from the independent and a protest vote, have them just land in the Democratic column. And quite frankly, everybody in the Democratic side would be fine. That's again why Mm. you've pulled Joe Biden all the way across the country. And remember, there's some important congressional races out there. Uh, that could well go to determining house control. So Oregon's an extremely important state, and the dynamic is very different out there this year.
1: Yeah, there are two fascinating independent situations, that one, and particularly Evan McMullen in Utah, who had a pretty good debate last night. You can watch on streaming. Finally, we got a lot of requests to comment on the the Showtime documentary about the Madoff, oh, excuse me, Lincoln Project, and we don't have time. We're over, but I'll try to get to that next week and talk a little bit about what I, I'll give a little review of the documentary on uh, the Madoff Project.
2: I will bring popcorn.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Gibbsy. I liked our doubleheader. I feel like we gave people a good look at those two races. I hope you enjoyed
2: it. Uh, look, I, I, my big thing is I love listening to and hearing from the folks that are in these States that are covering it day to day. They're not just calling in to cover it. They're, they're out there. As you heard, Greg, he'll hit the trail today. Uh, Ralston will have reporters out there as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. We may, maybe we'll slide in another doubleheader before, uh, yeah, let us know the three weeks are up. Yeah, let us know if you like it. Again,
1: email us at axontap at gmail.com, or you can always post comments at Apple Podcasts, which are helpful to us, and star ratings and all that kind of stuff. All right, until next time, thank you all, and thank you, Gibbs.
2: Thanks, Murphy.